With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyark along with Kevin Haswell on the morning of opening of March Madness. Kevin, we went over a lot last episode. We're not really going to be able to dive into it today simply because by the time everyone listens to the show, the games have already started. But how are you feeling about you know one of the biggest tournaments of the year kicking off? I will be a sitting duck for 24 of the next 48 hours. We'll be watching college basketball. You know, I'm excited. It's going to be really fun. Um, there's nothing, you know, I could say there's nothing better in sports than March Madness. There's a lot of great things in sports. I mean, that's why we talk about sports twice a week. Um, but March Madness is up there. I'm going to enjoy it, um, and I, think, I hope all of you guys do. And we'll, you know, we'll come back next week, uh, Sunday night, and we'll you know, talk through some of the games, and hopefully we got some upsets. I mean, that's the best part of March Madness. Yeah, if there are any games that stand out to you, you can email us mailbag questions at editor at puresportsnetwork.com. Uh, go ahead and shoot us those, and we'll go ahead and you know, touch on some of that. But we'll go ahead and switch over to the NFL because that's the other big storyline right now is NFL free agency opened yesterday, although it seemed like it opened three days ago um, with all the preemptive signings and, and trades and deals and all that kind of thing. Uh, so we're going to focus on the quarterback market here because that's really been the biggest driver of the entire market as a whole is you know there are a bunch of teams that came into the offseason needing a quarterback, and it seems like all but maybe two or three are set at that position um, and, and know who they're going to have at least next year. Uh, and now teams are starting to look toward the future. So we're going to go through the major signings. Um, you know, we've already talked a lot about the Alex Smith and Tyrod Taylor deals um, in previous episodes, so we're not going to jump on those. But we'll talk uh, some big free agent moves here. We're going to start with the Cardinals, a team that a lot of people are questioning their moves right now. They released Tyron Matthew because uh, his deal wasn't, you know, team-friendly enough for them, too expensive. They decided to cut ties with him, which a lot of people are questioning, considering he's young, he's one of their three most talented players on the team, uh, and you know they're trying to move on now to clear up cap room uh, for other players. And then they go out and sign Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon uh, to handle the quarterback duties. Obviously, Bradford's going to be that number one with Glennon you know, signing a two-year deal to be that backup. He had an uh, audition with the Bears that didn't go well, um, and, and now they're, he's kind of, you know, the contingency plan in case Bradford gets hurt, which seems to happen every year. So, Kevin, where do you think the Cardinals are going here? I honestly don't know. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sam Bradford's talent. But, you know, the questions throughout his career have been the injuries. And, you know, I like them going out and getting Mike Lennon, great backup quarterback. You know, I think he's probably between the 20 and 30 range of starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I think he's a, a capable starter. Um, that's, you know, what the Bears thought when they signed him to that huge, uh, huge contract. Um, take him away from the Buccaneers, but I love Sam Bradford. I just I, the concerns with health, um, you know. And, and the other thing that really concerned me yesterday with the Cardinals was uh, releasing the Honey Badger. I mean, what a defense! What a what a player on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I don't know how they're going to replace him in that secondary. I mean, he's one of the best, most instinctive defensive players in all of football. 
and you know they're gonna miss him. And I think he's gonna, you know, other teams are gonna pay a pretty price to get the Honey Badger. Great defender, uh, great safety, and you know, I, I thought this Cardinals team last year was kind of a dark horse to make a playoff run. Didn't really, you know, the defense didn't play as well as we thought. Um, and there was, you know, questions at the quarterback position, but I don't know. I, I'm really confused with what the Cardinals are trying to do here. I think it was more of a trickle effect. I think everyone was trickle down effect. That everyone was trying to go after Kirk Cousins, and everyone that didn't get Kirk Cousins kind of had to settle. Um, I think Sam Bradford was the Cardinals, you know, settling on the second, second, third quarterback on the market. Um, so you know, we'll see. And you know, I, I also want to speculate that you know, Drew Brees was offered a two-year, sixty million dollar deal from a mystery team. Could have been the Cardinals, um, especially seeing them settle on two, you know, less proven quarterbacks um, instead of Drew Brees. But who knows? You know, there's a lot of teams out there that need quarterbacks, most most important position in, in football. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you definitely have to question the Cardinals' motives um, this offseason. It doesn't look like they're going to be as good as we thought next year. Yeah, Matthew is only 25 right now, so he's got a huge career ahead of him. Um, you know, one of the, the best def- secondary players in all of football. So uh, he's going to be making a pretty penny, and apparently the Saints are interested, so I'm I'm all for it. Um, but the other, um, I guess, committee plan that was put in place by a team was the Jets, uh, signing Teddy Bridgewater and Josh McCown uh, to deals to kind of, we don't even know really who's going to start. I would probably say Bridgewater is going to get the nod, um, but he's so unproven, having not really played over the past few years because of the ACL injury. Um, McCown had a good year, but not you know anything to write home about necessarily. So, Kevin, where do you think the Jets go here? Is, is Bridgewater the answer? Um, you know, obviously he's younger. He's got probably the more of that long-term solution. Do you think they're going to be able to develop him to be the quarterback he was supposed to be? You know, I thought Teddy Bridgewater was very good in the Vikings system under Pat Shermer. Thought you know he's very a player. I like to consider or you know kind of compare him to would be Tyrod Taylor. His quarterback doesn't make a lot of mistakes out there. He's not going to wow you in the stat book, um, but he's going to go out and win you ball games. So, you know, they, they were tentative on the deals. They only signed him to a one-year deal to see how he plays this year. Um, but if he doesn't play well, then, you know, that's why they signed Josh McCown as a one-year stakeholder. I think at the end of the day, they got to go out and draft a quarterback. Um, I think that's what it comes to. They missed out on the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes. And at that point, I mean, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is a franchise quarterback. I think he's, you know, a good quarterback. Uh, probably in the same class as, you know, the Mike Lennons, the, you know, the guys that can fill in, but they're not going to lead you to a Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, definitely look towards the draft. And I like the signing of Josh, Josh McCown because, you know, he proved himself last year. He's still a pretty good quarterback. And he's a perfect stakeholder for, you know, if they draft a young quarterback, they can play him for a year. They can learn behind Josh McCown um, and then kind of a seamless transition uh, because McCown's probably going to retire in the next couple of years. They can seamlessly uh, put the next quarterback in, but you know I, I like I like what the Jets did, um, but I think they still got to draft a quarterback, and you know I don't think they're gonna you know be a playoff caliber team next year. No, I mean the defense is a lot of question marks, and they don't really have a lot of weapons around. Uh, um, you know that quarterback tandem and, and Matt Forte retiring, they have a big question mark at running back. So there's just you know a lot going on for the Jets right now, and it doesn't look like they're gonna be a playoff team this year although you know a strong draft could change a lot of things um, but we'll see what they're able to you know how they're able to turn things around uh, moving on though another Vikings quarterback Case Keenum signing with the Broncos a huge deal um, you know going in there they were rumored to be interested in Kirk Cousins obviously lost out um, which we'll get to Cousins in a minute 
Um, but Keenum had an outstanding year, was among the best quarterbacks in football last season, kind of came out of nowhere um, and led the Vikings as far as they did. He, he had that starting job locked in even when Bridgewater got back. Um, so I, I've been, I was very impressed with Keenum. It's just my thing was his age. Uh, he's on the tail end of his career, and you know he isn't proven necessarily. I mean, one good year, a lot of players can have it. Um, but at this point of his career, I'm just not sure if I trust him. You know, I mean, yes, he's only 30, and you know, you got a few years left in the tank, especially as quarterback. But when you're just now like reaching your potential at age 30, there's a lot of question marks. So as far as the Broncos go, this is a move they needed to make, especially after losing out of Kirk Cousins. I would argue that Keenum was probably the next best quarterback available, but. I mean, at, at this point, you know, it's not a long-term solution. They certainly, I think, should still be targeting quarterback in the draft to develop because Paxton Lynch doesn't look like the guy. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. You know, I think Case Keenum's going to be a lot better than what they had last year. I think it's a vast improvement. I mean, they still got a pretty good defense, uh, depending on, you know, what they do with some of those guys. I know uh, rumored to trade Akeem Tlaib and some other talented defensive players. Uh, but if they hold on to those guys, and they still have a strong defense next year. I really like Case Keenum. I mean, you saw him last year with the great Vikings defense. Uh, led that team to, what, 12 or 13 wins. And, you know, you're putting him on another team with a great defense. Uh, some talented receivers, too. Almost as talented as uh, as the Vikings. I mean, you got Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders uh, side-by-side. Side. I, I like that combination. Uh, and, you know, I like their running backs. I like C.J. Anderson. Uh, uh, Devin, or... Booker, mm-hmm. um, some of those other Devontae guys. Booker, yeah. Devontae Booker, I mean, I, I like their running back core. Uh, the, you know, the question is going to, I think, you know, uh, I'm going to say this all episode, it, it's it's unfortunate that there was one good quarterback on the market this year. This year's free agency with Kirk Cousins, I mean, seemed like there was, what, six, seven teams going after him, and everyone else just had to settle on quarterbacks that they probably didn't want. Um, but, you know, uh, I mean, we'll talk about the Kirk Cousins trickle-down effect later, but, I mean, what is this? What do you think the Kirk Cousins' decision to go to the Vikings really did to the rest of these teams? I mean, it, it was certainly, you know, a lot of teams cleared payroll. So it almost, like, it helped a lot of teams, even if they lost out on Cousins, because, yes, they weren't going to get that quarterback, but now they're able to sign more players to other, um, uh, you know, positions that they might not have been able to do had they got Cousins. I mean, we'll go ahead and jump into Kirk Cousins. I mean, his deal... $86 million fully guaranteed, uh, which is just absolutely insane. It's unprecedented. Um, averaging $28 million a year, which is a little under what I thought he was going to get, um, or $84 million, sorry. But fully guaranteed has never happened before. So even though he's not making you know as much per year as Jimmy Garoppolo is, you know he's making half a million more per year, Kirk Cousins is probably going mean, to He could make more money. Uh, you know, if... Uh, Cousins trails off, he's still going to make that, that money. It's kind of like a baseball contract, which is all baseball contracts are fully guaranteed. Um, so I, I think that a lot of teams were ready to spend, and when they weren't getting Cousins, yes, that kind of hurts their quarterback prospects. But now you got to look at the draft, okay? The draft is full of quarterbacks. And maybe it's not full of, like, you know, RG3, Andrew Luck debate. We're not having that necessarily as, like, both these guys could be phenoms. We're looking at, you know, just depth in that – no, no matter where you're going to pick in the first round, there's going to be a quarterback available. I mean, you know, you might have to reach for a quarterback that could probably follow the second, uh, you know, if you have a later pick. Or, you know, you might be in the top five thinking, okay, who, who is worth my pick? Is it Josh Rosen? Is it uh, Baker Mayfield? You know, going through the list. So I think there's contingency plans here. And with, you know, how rookies don't get paid as much as, as obviously as a guy like Kirk Cousins is going to get paid, you're not, you don't have to allot as much money. 
And I, I think that, you know, these teams are going to be fine. Um, at the Broncos, defense actually fell off last year and was a lot worse than a lot of people thought. Um, so they're going to need some, some pickup on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but, you know, Vikings getting Kirk Cousins means Broncos contingency plan, Case Keenum. I think they're fine for next year, long term. Maybe you might need some work. Cardinals, I'm not sure if Sam Bradford's the answer, but if he can stay healthy, he's a, he's a great quarterback, um, can really air it out when he needs to. Um, and uh, Mike Glennon is a certain, certainly good contingency plan there. Um, Jets having to move on. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there, but at the same time, you know, there's still options. Um, and, you know, teams like the Bills who need a quarterback, they have a lot of underrated weapons around. I mean, LaShawn McCoy is still one of the better running backs in the league. Uh, their defense is stock full of a, a really good secondary. Um, so I, I think that, you know, these teams are going to be fine. Obviously, quarterback's the most important position, and getting Kirk Cousins would have been a major boost for any team. But with the Vikings being the only team among the pack that needed a quarterback that was really established, had made the playoffs last year, um, was, you know, among the better teams in football, it kind of seemed like, you know, a match made in heaven uh, for Cousins in, in Minnesota, that it just kind of had to happen. So, you know, I'm sure these teams knew that that, that might be the case, and they, they had other plans. And so I'm not super worried necessarily for the long-term futures, as long as, you know, they go into this draft still being open-minded about drafting a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with, you know, the statement about a lot of these teams, you know, it's not the end of the world because they didn't get Kirk Cousins. They're not filling up a bunch of their cap. Um, but actually, a lot of these teams are. Case Keenum, $18 million he's owed the next two years. I'd say that's a lot of money for a quarterback that you probably say, what, middle of the pack? lower pack among quarterbacks in the NFL. Right now, I mean, I put Case Keenum in the top half just simply because it was a great year. Um, but, you know, that that's only about, with the signing bonuses included, that's only about a $5, 6000000 million cap hit for one season. I mean, that's not huge. Kirk Cousins, you know, whatever 84 divided by 3 is. It's 28 a year. 28 a year. My, you know, there's going to be some signing All bonuses years. in there. Some signing bonuses involved in that, so it'll knock the cap down. But that's probably around $24 million on cap every year. I mean, Think about, you know, Case Keenum getting about five. You could get five Case Keenums for about what you got for Kirk Cousins in terms of cap space. So, you know, that's definitely a lot more flexibility. Yeah, and we've talked about this on past shows. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, we had, I think we both agreed that Kirk Cousins was a fringe top 10 quarterback. Don't understand how you pay him the highest, how, how he's making the most money in the NFL. It's partly because of his age. You know, he, he's still in the middle of his prime, 28 years old, I believe. Um, not really, you know, he hasn't had a bad year in a few years. He's, he's been, you know, averaging about 4,000 yards per season, has been healthy. Um, and, you know, we haven't we haven't seen a fringe top 10 quarterback hit free agency like Kirk Cousins has. I mean, you know, no franchise tag, no injury questions, just a healthy quarterback, middle of his prime, who's thrown for, who's been established throwing over 4,000 yards a year. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And so, you know, you'll see a lot of times, especially in NBA free agency, where a lot of players who maybe aren't yet at that step where you say, okay, you're calling them elite, are getting paid like elite players simply because they're hitting free agency at a prime time to lock them in, and there's going to be competition. I mean, you know, it's the market driving up the price. It's not that he's necessarily worth that money. It's that, you know, I want this guy because I believe in the future he's going to be probably a little bit better than what he's done before. And, you know, a great example would be Otto Porter Jr., who was given a max deal at the time 
you know, it was offered by the Nets and the Wizards had to match it, he's getting paid over a $100 million deal. I mean, Otto Porter Jr. is not a $100 million player, but simply because the market was in need for that kind of player, they had to bid that high and overpay a little bit for in order to retain that player. So that's kind of the situation with Cousins is, yeah, he may be not be playing to be worth that kind of money, but at the same time, you got to look at, like, where teams are with quarterbacks, you know, like the Vikings have had such a carousel over the years. They now get that stability for the next three years with Cousins. They get a player who, you know, fits really well into their offense. I mean, Cousins is pretty similar to the way Case Keenan played this past year. You know, they're not going to have to change much. They have a ton of weapons around him. Um, obviously, losing Jarek McKinnon is going to hurt, but um, you still have Latavius Murray. You still have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and Kyle Rudolph is among the best tight ends in football. I mean, you know, he's got a lot of toys to play with, and I think Kirk Cousins is going to have a great three years in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, that, that team is very exciting. I mean, you look at, they won 12 or 13 games, and they upgraded a quarterback, the most important position in football. Oh, and we forgot about Dalvin Cook, too, who's coming off of injury. Yeah, they get Dalvin Cook back. They did lose Jarek McKinnon, signed yep. up the uh, San Francisco 49 Which I really like. Great, great pickup. Um, but, yeah, this Vikings team, I mean, is primed. I mean, injuries aside, we'll see. You know, I mean, the Dalvin Cook injury didn't slow them down this year, but there are some injuries on that team that could slow them down. Uh you know, if uh, Xavier Rhodes or someone got hurt. I, I, but I really like this Vikings team. I think they can go really far uh, in the playoffs once again. I think they learned. Um, from. I think they, in the playoffs, they got a little too high off the, the Stephon Diggs uh, touchdown that stabbed you in the heart. Um, yep. They were a little high off that, walked into Philadelphia thinking they you know, had already punched their ticket to the Super Bowl and the Eagles punched them in the face. So, um, you know, I... I said I really like the Vikings 10 times in the last 15 seconds. I really like them. They're I mean, really good. the thing for me is is the NFC powerhouses are getting stronger. The Rams upgraded their secondary massively, traded for Keep Tlaib, um, a few other um, depth guys. Their defense is going to look even better. Plus, you're going to have Jared Goff on his third year now. You know, he takes another step forward. That offense is going to be pretty incredible. Um, the, the 49ers are making huge strides forward. They're trending in the right direction. Uh, Saints have all their guys coming back for second years, and they're going to be able to reload in the draft. Um, I, I really like, I mean, the NFC is just stacked. It, it's, there's no way around it. And, you know, I think the NFC East is the biggest question mark right now, aside from the Eagles, which of those three teams is going to emerge as maybe a threat. But you got to think at least one's going to. Um, and so you have at least two teams from the NFC East. NFC South had three playoff teams this past year. NFC West has the Rams uh, and the 49ers. Um, and NFC North, Packers, you got to think, are be back in it. Vikings obviously look like the team to beat right now in the NFC. You know, obviously the Eagles are still that team. But you have those two teams there. I mean, where do you go if you're like the Seahawks right now or the Cardinals, you know, I mean, trending that way? The Seahawks are definitely looking towards a rebuild. I mean, you're seeing them let everyone walk right now. Tough for Russell Wilson. I mean, this team so good um, the last, what, four or five years. Super Bowl appearances. It's tough for Russell Wilson, but they're not going to have a great defense. Lost Richard Sherman. Who knows about Cam Chancellor? Uh, traded Michael Bennett to the Eagles. I mean, Eric Thomas or Earl Thomas III Earl is Thomas on the III. trade market. Yeah. yeah, I think he's a blue. Um, but I mean, tough, tough, tough times in uh, Seattle. But yeah, we talked about it. Uh, I talked about it with Mitchell Seaman on the podcast last week, and. I mean, they really went in on last year, you know, trading for trading for Dwayne Brown. Um, they made a couple other small moves that lot, cost them some picks, and they're kind of having to pull things apart. I honestly think their ceiling is going to be about four or five wins next year. I don't really think they're going to be in the conversation for the playoffs, you know, at all, right out of the gate. So, 
Um, you know, NFC stacked, and it all goes back to the quarterback market, which is just so important. And the last last signing I did want to talk about was Drew Brees going back to the Saints. Um, you know, it kind of seemed like inevitable. Um, he didn't really entertain any offers. Like you said, he got a mystery offer from some team. Uh, the Vikings were rumored to have called in um, just to, you know, check on his status if he was interested um, in going elsewhere before they went and signed Cousins. So, you know, Brees obviously highly coveted, but this was a team-friendly deal. Um, structured enough to give him a lot of cap room this year. It's a little more backloaded than, um, you know, a lot of team, a lot of uh, deals are. But, you know, Breeze is not the quarterback of the future for the Saints anymore. They're going to have to start looking uh, to the future. And that was my final question on this topic before we move on. What are the teams that are going to be targeting QBs in the first round of the draft? You know, I, I obviously think the Browns uh, are going to be one. The Jets are probably going to be one. And I think... The Giants, if they decide, you know, they want to move on from Eli Manning soon, Josh Rosen is certainly an option. Um, but beyond that, I mean, the Dolphins are rumored to be, you know, not buying in on Tannehill at this point. Um, I mentioned the Bills. You know, all they have is Nathan Peterman on the roster right now. They need another quarterback, um, and I think another rookie. That That's going to be a tough situation for the Bills uh, moving forward. Broncos, like I mentioned earlier, Case Keenum probably isn't the quarterback of the future for them, so might need someone to train. I think the Saints – are going to have to look forward, uh, you know, somebody to move on from Breeze. I mean, that's what a lot of these situations are, is, you know, we, we have these old quarter, aging quarterbacks. We need to go start getting some rookies, and this is the perfect draft to do it. More teams, Cardinals, you know, is Mike Glennon and Sam Brad for the future? Probably not. Chargers, Phillip Rivers is, you know, reaching the end of his career. Steelers, Big Ben, Patriots, Tom Brady. So, and Patriots don't really have a backup quarterback beyond Brady uh, after trading Brissett and Jimmy G uh, these past year and a half. So, um, there's a lot of teams that are going to be targeting quarterbacks, and I think, you know, with the Browns signing Isaiah Crowell uh, to a, a deal, or no, it was a uh, Carlos Hyde, Browns Brown side Carlos Hyde uh, to a deal, there could be, you know, they might not want to call Barkley anymore, they might be trading for a team, trading the pick for, for a team that might want Josh Rosen over the uh, for, uh, Giants, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of storylines to watch in this draft. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm really interested to see where Saquon Barkley goes. I mean, he's by far the most talented player in the draft. The running back is such a dispensable position in the NFL. You really have to have a need for a running back. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the, you know, the Browns went out and got Carlos Hyde uh, yesterday. So does that signal that they're out on a running back now and maybe don't want to go with Barkley with one of their top four picks? Uh, it will be interesting to find out. And also, the Giants went out and got Jonathan Stewart yesterday. Uh, they were also another team that might have been interested in a running back early in the draft. The one thing that concerns me, or doesn't concern me, kind of changes the course for the Giants, is they went out and signed a offensive lineman yesterday to a $60 million deal, left tackle, something they really need for Eli Manning's blind side. Uh, so maybe that you know opens up their, their uh, top four picks or use it on a quarterback or a running back. Um, because it was rumored that they might spend it on an offensive lineman because that's what they really need, but they went out and bought and paid for one. Um, so, one of the best left tackles in the league, too, yeah. and Nate Solder, who's been you know protecting Brady's blind side for a long time, and now that opens up big questions. This is the first time the Brady-Belichick era is really lacking as left tackle, so that's also another um, storyline here. And I think the Colts, you know, having a top three pick, what if they draft Barkley? I mean, you know, they're rumored to be interested in defense. They, they really need to pick it up, but... You know, with Frank Gore is really your only you know, reliable running back right now, adding Saquon Barkley and bringing Andrew Luck back to the team, 
um, who is rumored to be re- supposed to be ready by week one. Um, you know, he, he's returning to practices in April, I believe. He's going to be hitting the training facility and starting to work his way back. So, um, you know, imagine a Barkley-Luck offense. I mean, that just sounds like a dream team, um, you know, based on what they did in their college career. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of options. This is one of the more exciting drafts I think we've had in a while. Uh, last year, no one really jumped off the page to me, um, you know, in terms of, of different. I mean, when Miles Garrett is your guy, when you're, you're not having an offensive player as like the guy in the draft, it almost seems like the draft is falling under expectations. Obviously, Miles Garrett is a beast, and you know we're going to be seeing good things out of him. You know, it just hasn't seemed like we've had a lot of playmakers in recent years, and this is looking like a very deep draft. Yeah, it's also very interesting to see how many mediocre quarterback talents move up the draft so quickly because of the need for quarterback in the NFL. Like Lamar Jackson. There might be three quarterbacks in the first four picks. That's unprecedented. When's the last time three quarterbacks were picked in the top? I can't even remember. I mean, that's one position out of 22 on the field. How are you going to go out and three of the top four teams pick quarterbacks? I mean, it's just such a need. Um, in today's game, and it's gonna be very interesting. Uh, if you, I know I posed this question to you, um, but after you know watching the tape, what quarterback would you pick first? After seeing some of the combine numbers and such. Yeah, I mean, I still think Rosen is the most polished quarterback, and so in terms of playing like now, he's he's pro ready. I think that you know going with Josh Allen would be more of a risk. Um, you know, I think he might have a higher ceiling. Um, but I, I couldn't justify, you know, if you're a team that needs a player to step in now, which the Giants don't, so they, you know, they might see Allen as a fit, but if you're a team that really needs a quarterback now, if you're trying to trade up for that number one pick, I think you're going to pick Josh Rosen simply because, you know, if, if you're thrusting that rookie QB in, you're going to need like, the Bills, for example, um, you're going to need somebody who can at least keep you guys afloat to start and then work from there. I don't think Josh Allen could do that. I don't think Baker Mayfield could do that. Um, it's certainly not Lamar Jackson. I'm forgetting one other quarterback, but um, I think I think Rosen is the most polished, and, th- and that's going to go a long way for him, um, you know, in the draft. Yeah, I've been a f- big fan of Sam Darnold the whole time. Darnold, uh, you know, I watched him at USC. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you watched the Rose Bowl two years ago. They played Penn State and threw for yes, that was one of the best games of the year. 180 yards and four touchdowns or something ridiculous like that. Ever since that game, I've been high on him. Uh, I know he struggled a little bit this year, but they had a lot less talent on their offensive line at USC. Uh, he struggled a little bit, but his talent's there. Um, apparently, he's very composed, very good leader. So, you know, there's the one thing about Josh Rosen is, you know, his leadership's been called into check a couple times um, over these over this offseason before he's gotten, you know, before we've gotten to the NFL draft. So that concerns me a little bit. But, man, I mean, there's a lot of talent in quarterbacks in the top of this draft. Um, I, I'm also very interested towards the late first round for the Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson because I want to see a team take a chance on Lamar Jackson. The guy's 6'4". He's got a cannon of an arm. He's got you know probably 4'4 four, four speed, fast. I mean, he's got all the intangibles to be a Michael Vick round two. But you know a lot of teams are very skeptical because playing a little more of a spread offense at Louisville, um, the running ability scares people because you know the RG3 uh, ran a little too much and the basically ended his career. Uh, there's a lot of concerns there, but, you know, he really excites me. Um, so, you know, I, I can't wait for the NFL draft. It's going to be uh, one for the ages. I mean, I feel like I say that every year, but 
after seeing Saquon Barkley's numbers and all the quarterbacks at the top of the draft, it's going to be really an NFL fan's dream to see all those offensive players be drafted in the top 10. But let's get to April already. Let's get to April already. I'm saying that because baseball season's around the corner, and that's going to end our NFL discussion here. Um, we'll certainly get back to the draft uh, as it gets closer, but with free agency exploding right now, we had to you know take some time to talk. Now, MLB uh, just implemented some new pace of play rules that they're going to be um, enforcing throughout the minor league systems. Um, there are three major rules that they changed here. Uh, they're going to be placing a runner on second to start all extra innings. Uh, in all across all the minor leagues, so in an effort to reduce the number of relief pitchers needed, um, the fact that you know sometimes teams have to go to position players if the innings get too long, um, and you know to speed up the the game and to end it more uh, quickly, six mound visits per game in AAA. They place a limit uh, on that in AA. You can have eight in single A. You can have ten, uh, but you know, obviously with AAA being the closest, that six mound visits um, does you know limit a lot of uh, chances for coaches to go out and talk to players, uh, specifically pitching coaches to work on, you know, maybe a specific hitter. They want to, you know, a quick run through um, of what you want to like see in this guy and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, a 15 pitch or a 15 second pitch clock uh, will be enforced across all minor leagues when the bases are empty, as opposed to the usual 20 that they have. They already implemented last season, a pitch clock of 20 seconds uh, throughout the league. But now if the bases are empty, you have a 15 second clock. So, um, Kevin, what do you think about all these rule changes? You know, obviously the MLB isn't affected right now, but this is conditioning all these young players coming up to be used to these rules for, you know, the eventual use of them, uh, in the majors. I just have, I personally, I know we've talked about this on you know, past episodes and, you know, on visitors bullpen back in the day, throw back to that show. Um, but a lot of these rule changes are just garbage. In my opinion, I, I think. The game is fine the way it is now, and I don't think you're going to attract more fans by making a bunch of these rules. I mean, I know they're trying to, you know, the median age for or the, the mean age for uh, baseball fans is the highest among all professional sports. Uh, so they're trying to get that millennial age, you know, fan, the millennial age fans to watch the game uh, by speeding up. They think that'll help, which it might, but it's not going to attract people to the game. It's going to, you know, make it more friendly for people that are watching it currently. I don't think baseball is a game where you can really just attract people to watch it. I know they tried to do that by, you know, the rumor about the baseballs last year, more home runs, making it more exciting. I don't think that, you know, a typical football fan is going to just start watching baseball because there's more home runs or, you know, there's a pitch clock that's going faster or there's electronic strike zones so there's no bad calls. Some, those, all those rules, I think, are stupid. I think, you know, they, they make the game way too robotic. It takes the human element out of the games. Uh, and I don't think they're going to gain any fans out of it. So I think they need to keep the games, keep the game the same, keep the umpires, keep the human element. Uh, I'm not even a fan of some of the you know reviews, but you know, it's at this point it's nothing I can do about it. But I think they're slowly ruining the game of baseball by making it so robotic. I think the cliche "if it ain't broke, don't fix it" don't applies it's here. Um, a couple things for me. I understand where baseball is coming from. What their plan is, is to, by shortening the game, they want to get the more casual fan to be more into it. You know, a lot of fans will say, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, gla- I'll catch the last couple innings, blah, 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 whatever. Um, you know, not going to sit down and watch a three-hour baseball game. But the game's, like, two hours, two and a half. They might, like, be more inclined. The casual fan will be more inclined to watch full games. And that will get, you know, them more interested. They might buy more merchandise, you know, see more advertisements, all that kind of thing. I get that. 
However, extra innings are one of the most exciting parts of baseball. I think, you know, when the game's on the line uh, and you're, you're sending a pitcher in there to get three outs uh, to, you know, keep the game alive, you're, I just can't understand how you would put a player on second base to start it. One, it's, okay, what are you going to do about ERAs? Is that going to be an earned run? Is that going to be a run that gets tacked onto the pitcher? I don't think that's fair in terms of stats um, to, you know, put a runner on second base and then have that pitcher be responsible for it. So I'd assume that that, won't, that runner will be an unearned run. But, you know, that's adding to the number of runs that a team allows over the year. And so you're going to look at, you know, if a team plays more extra inning games, they're going to be inclined to give up more runs. And that might hurt, you know, uh, numbers in terms of, uh, you know, where the team ranks among the league and all that kind of stuff. So... For me, I, I hate that idea. I really think that, you know, that's, you, it, I think it's fine. Ch- how did a pitch clock? Okay, you know, whatever. Mound visits, fine. If you want to limit that, that's fine with me. I really don't care. But when you actually start changing the game itself, as in putting a runner on second base, that's mod- not modifying how the, you know, in-between action, that's modifying the action. And that's what I think you can't be doing if you're MLB right now. Like, I, I'm a fan of Rob Manfred. I think he's made some good changes um, I think his obsession with pace of play is a little over the top, but I think that, you know, when you start actually changing the game itself, you know, if you add a DH to the National League, if you put a runner on second base in extra innings, um, you know, you, you take away a four-pitch walk, uh, intentional walk, I think that's where you start crossing the line in terms of taking away from what the game, the essence of the game is, especially extra innings, which are... So exciting. I mean, I live for a game to go to extra innings. I love when, it, you know, it's bottom of the 13th and we got a runner on second. Nobody's been able to score all game. We've got our, our pinch hitter up and he somehow, you know, scores a run and gets a walk-off. Like, those are moments I live for. And, yes, putting a runner on second base might create more of those moments sooner, but they almost seem fake to me. You know, you didn't earn that guy to get on second base. You just got into extra innings. And I'm um, uh, if you have a pitcher who is a ground ball pitcher, right, and you put a runner on second base – uh, your first batter is going to hit a grounder right to first, right? That's going to move the runner over to third. You have one out and a runner on third immediately. All you got to do is hit a sack fly of the next guy and you score to run. I mean, that's for me, that's just asking for anger among players, fans getting frustrated. I don't think this is the way MLB should be going. And I'm, I'm, I agree that Manfred has some work to do in terms of pace of play, but changing the game itself is not where we want to be going. Yeah, right, you know. I understand the concerns with the pace of play because, you know, it, it can be an issue. Sit down and watch four hours a game, especially when there's 162 games. You know, as a fan, I I personally enjoy baseball so much I'll sit down and watch 162 Phillies games if I had, you know, the time, time to yeah. do it. Yeah. But I understand, you know, where some fans would be concerned about the four hours sitting down watching a game, especially because of the extra innings or, you know, you, you get to – you get those five, the number five starters in the rotation that pitch four innings, and you're just shifting in reliever after reliever and situational pitching, and that can take a long time too, and you know, extend the length of the games. Uh, but for me personally, as a fan, my opinion is the game's fine the way it is right now, uh, and I don't think they you know, need to add in um, you know, things to change. Uh, you know, I, I don't like the rule changes. Pitch clock is one thing I guess I can do. It, it's doesn't really affect the game that much. Um, you know, I know in the playoffs, I don't know if you remember this a couple years ago, uh, when Baez for the Dodgers playing the Nats would take 45 seconds between pitches um, to throw the next pitch. So, you know, at that point, it's a little ridiculous. But 
I think there's a beauty in the flow of the game of baseball, and once you speed that up, you lose some of that beauty. Yeah, I mean, MLB isn't worried about us. You know, they know we're going to watch the game no matter what rule changes they make. Uh, we're going to be rooting for our teams. We're going to be, you know, trying to follow also 162 and probably games that don't even include our favorite teams. Um, it, it's more those casual fans, the fans that, you know, interested in baseball but aren't really paying attention to it. That's who they're trying to draw in, and I get it. I just, I just really, like I said, I don't think changing the game itself is the way to go because then you're not even attracting people to baseball. You're attracting people to this, you know, juiced baseball almost. You're putting steroids in it, and then, you know, that's like, like the whole. Base, that's the whole changing the baseballs argument too. Is that really? Like I actually how it should be done. I actually just listened to uh, effectively wild as Fangraphs podcast. Highly recommend. Um, if you have never listened to it uh, and are into the analytics of baseball. But they actually got sat down a researcher for the National Baseball Hall of Fame who had done a, an extensive research on the baseballs. And what they came to the conclusion was, was in terms of the chemical aspects of a ball, the amount of rubber, uh, how thick the rubber is, the core, what's in it, um, the, the height of the laces, all that kind of stuff. MLB has guidelines for what can constitute a baseball, and they set parameters. They don't have any specific numbers. They have parameters. And so what I think Major League Baseball has done is they have dove into the parameters that they already set and made minimal changes to each different part of the baseball, you know, raising the height of the laces slightly, increasing the rubberness of the core slightly, all that kind of stuff. All those incremental changes have resulted in, you know, the ball carrying an extra 10 feet off the bat. Um, and, and that's, you know, turning guys like Didi Gregorius into 18 home run a year hitters. Um, so that's that's my take on the ball is that they, I don't think there's anything wrong with what they've done because they didn't change any rules to do it. Um, and I am all for more home runs, honestly. I think that's, that's fine. It, it does make for more exciting um, games. And we actually were, prior to this home run surge, we were actually seeing offense at an all-time low. And that's why there's such an emphasis put on these home runs was because pitchers were dominating the uh, strike zone. Strikeouts are way up. They still are up because people hitters are now you know undercutting the ball a lot more. Um, but that bottom uh, zone of the strike zone was considered like, you know, death for hitters. You know, you have a nasty slider go to at the knees. Nobody's going to be able to hit it. Well, now that the balls are you know considered juiced or whatever you want to say, you know, you get contact that might have just been, you know, a pop-up to, not necessarily a pop-up because you're not hitting it right, but maybe a line drive up the middle, you're now carrying it to where it might be off the wall. So uh, I, I'm for, you know, the balls, as long as they're not changing what is constituted as, you know, what they are, their current parameters are for a baseball, as long as they're still within what they already defined it as, I have no problem with them raising the, the height of the laces or increasing the, the, the rubberness of the, the core, um, as long as it's within the set parameters they already had. Yeah, and, you know, I I understand both sides of it uh, because, you know, it does add entertainment for the balls to be lighter and more home runs. I mean, who, who doesn't want to see John Carlos Stanton or Aaron Judge at 75 home runs or something? I mean, that would be, that'd be awesome. Imagine if we had, like, but a... How, how realistic is that if you're just juicing up the balls and that's the reason they're hitting the home runs, right? But at the same time, like I said, it's still in that same parameters. And, I mean, imagine how awesome it would be if we had a, a Sosa... Maguire type season without the steroids. I mean, I, I think that we're seeing players performing at their best, and it's not on the players. You know, the players are, are going in; they're still training cleanly. They're 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 putting in their 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 work, and they're getting rewarded for it. And while yeah, that might hurt some pitchers, of course, and the pitchers probably aren't thrilled with it. It still puts all the pitchers in the same playing field. 
So it's not like you can, you know, say like, oh, Kershaw is, uh, you know, suffering from this any more than, than Scherzer is because, you know, they're having to do, throw the same baseballs. Um, so you can still compare them evenly. Uh, and, you know, it's still not going to hurt, you know, Hall of Fame chances, Cy Young chances, anything like that, because everyone's, you know, dealing with the same situation. Um, and like I said, strikeouts are up because hitters are adapting. Hitters realized about three years ago that the balls were traveling farther. And they started saying, oh, wow, I can, like, instead of being a slap hitter, I should start trying to uppercut the ball, undercut the ball a little bit um, and get some more air on it. The fly ball revolution is what it's being called because players putting this huge emphasis on hitting the ball in the air rather than hitting it on line. Or, it used or, to be more put it in play. Exactly. See what happens or, you know, keep it on the line. And now it's just... Now it's all about getting it into the outfield because, you know, who knows how far it'll carry. And But the thing is, is more strikeouts are going to come with that, which benefits pitchers. So I think this is working for both sides. Pitchers might give up more runs, but you know if you're if you're a strikeout pitcher, if you're like you can hit that spot every time, you're actually getting rewarded for this um, because it is much harder to undercut a slider down at the knees um, if you can pinpoint at the right location and get that drop off the table, you know, at the end of the pitch. So I think it works both ways. Uh, we certainly are still seeing good pitching numbers. Um, you know, the best of the best are still rivaling you know all time greats. I don't think it's hurting them in any way that is too substantial. We're seeing some higher high home run rates, but other than that, pitchers aren't really getting hurt that much. So I don't think it's a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, I guess I have an agenda of sides. It's, it's a sticky situation, especially for, you know, older baseball fans. I'm sure they don't want to see changes. Uh, you got to give a little to get a little, I guess. In, in, the, in the eyes of the executives in Major League Baseball, it's, you know, you give a little – you're going to get a little more and maybe add to the viewership of the game. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net, to like us on Facebook at Pure Sports Network, and check out our website, website at puresportsnetwork.com. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any last words for the good people? Uh, trust the process and have fun watching March Madness. We'll see you guys on Sunday. Yep, Michigan State will be cutting down the nets at the end of the month. That was my prediction sticking to it. So we'll see Tom Izzo and company um, on that final flo- uh, court. So thank you all again so much for listening. I'm Matt. Go Nats. Have a good one, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.